0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us Thank you so much. Thank you, Misty, Travis, Kevin. Thanks for leading us in worship today. I think I had previously mentioned one of the traditions we have at the Stewart family. We call it the Stew Zoo for obvious reasons, Um, but on birthdays, before we start our birthday dinner, we take time to go around the table or the room and give everyone a chance to say what they appreciate about this birthday person. It's a good thing to do because normally what goes around the table is not saying what they appreciate about one another. So, so one time of year, we know that, okay, these positive things <laughs> will be said. It um, get pretty chaotic, and sometimes when dinner's on the table and people really want to eat, like they throw things out pretty quickly. But every once in a while, it can be a really meaningful <laughs> experience. Well, here we are on Father's Day. Probably a good day to kind of do that, uh, that tradition also, right? Especially, Especially this afternoon. Don't you think that'd be a good thing for our family to do? Yes. yes, I think so. In fact, we should do it before dessert, too. And maybe take time, like, before the day ends and have another time to do that. Because fathers, especially in our household, are very appreciated. Right? Shouldn't there be? Okay, okay, very good. Maybe you want to do that with your family, too. Um, but, but Father's Day is also a day that we can set aside to gather for the Lord's uh, time, of, or time of worshiping the Lord, which you have done. And it's interesting how often Scripture uses the concept of Father to describe God. And certainly Jesus referred to him as Father when he prayed, when he talked of God. He would use that term Father. But even in the Old Testament, there was occasional times where the prophets referred to Yahweh, but their God, the one and only God, the God of the Hebrews, they refer to him as a father. So maybe it's a good thing for us to do in our time this morning is we'll take time to hear what people think about God, what they appreciate about him. And the person we're going to hear from is one of the biblical characters, one of those men in Scripture that there's several chapters in the Bible written about his life. His name is David. You know David? He was the young shepherd boy that was anointed to be king of Israel, and eventually he did become king, and he ruled for like 40 years. Uh, he wrote much, uh, much of the book of Psalms, uh, the, uh, really a book of prayers or a book of songs. Uh, that since that time have been sung and prayed throughout Jewish history. And so we want to turn to one of them, which is Psalm 103. Psalm 103. And I realize when even we mentioned that idea of God in the concept of a father, many of you, that makes complete sense. Because maybe you had experience like I did, with a dad who, who I dearly appreciate and adore. Dad was uh, the kind of guy that was always willing to play all-time quarterback so our teams could be fair, right? He was the pitcher on our wiffle ball games. Uh, Dad, Dad modeled a solid work ethic as he cared for our home and our car and our workplace as he served faithfully even in, uh, in our church ministry. He modeled consistent faith in Jesus. He raised us with a good model to follow He taught us things. Uh, He served in in so many different ways. He worked hard at his profession as an educator and a band director. And so when I think of God as Father, it makes sense to me because of so much what I've seen in my dad. But I also recognize not everybody has had that experience. Someone they think of Father immediately are flooded with some painful emotions. Because maybe to them comes these thoughts of neglect or even abuse or abandonment. Maybe there's thoughts of harsh treatment and, and betrayal. And yet still, Scripture refers to God as our Father. And I think one of the reasons is so that we can have that concept of fatherhood redeemed because God designed it from the very beginning to be a very nurturing and a healthy and life-giving relationship. So maybe if you're one that doesn't have the warm fuzzies when you think of God as Father, maybe our time in the Word today can help redeem that concept and maybe it can move a bit towards a right perspective fatherhood because the reality is you shouldn't have been treated that way. There shouldn't have been neglect and betrayal and harsh treatment because a father, as known by God, as seen in God, is a very life-giving relationship. So as we look to God today, we're going to look up to our father and we're going to see that God cares for his children. This is who God is. This is how he expresses his characteristics. As we look at Psalm 103, we're going to kind of start in the middle of the Psalm just for sake of time. And as we start in verse 6, I'd like to point out really three aspects of his care that hopefully results in two different things happening. That one, as we talk about what David has written, that our souls would bless the Lord even more than before we came in here today. In fact, if you look at the beginning of Psalm 103, you see that's the beginning of the psalm. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. That's David. He just can't stop talking about it. Bless the Lord. When I think about him, wow, my soul is lifted when I think about who God is. I hope that happens to you today. But secondly, as you revel in his goodness, I hope that it also inspires you to reflect his goodness. That the dads in the room would be inspired to express these characteristics in the way they care for their families. That the moms that are in the room would desire for these attributes to be seen in their life. That that those of you that have neighbors, you would desire for them to see this in your life. For you as you go to your workplace, you would hope that they would feel these attributes coming from you, that it would inspire us to reflect these characteristics and who God is. So let's look in Psalm 103, starting in verse 6. We see, first of all, his mercy. He is a God, he is a Father that is bountiful in mercy, and we are the beneficiaries of his mercy. Look in verse 6. The Lord works righteous. So this is David's turn. Right? It's Father's Day. Gather around the table. David says, oh, I want to say something first. I want to talk about God. Let me talk about my father. Here's what he says. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide. That's that's an old word for confront. Nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And then skipping to verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Wow, what a description. He does righteousness and justice for everyone. He makes known his ways to Moses, and to all the people. And here's the heart of it. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That phrase is not original to David. Oh, he wrote it here in this psalm, but actually he's quoting God. This is what God said about himself at a very key time in Israel's history. This is what he said to the nation of Israel just before they were born in a sense. So I had mentioned earlier that Moses led God's people out of slavery in Egypt, and, and that experience was kind of like their birth as God's people as they began to head towards the promised land. So the birth canal was kind of the Red Sea as, as through the water God formed a path and brought them out into the new world. And then he leads Moses and the people to Mount Sinai where he's going to give to them their identity And he calls Moses to to leave the people and go up into the mountain while the people waited and watched for his return. And while there, God spoke to Moses. He revealed himself to him. He showed his glory to Moses. And then he told Moses, bring to me tablets of stone and I will write down my law. And this law would help my people know how to be my representatives in the world. So God crafted his law on these stones. Moses then took those stones and he walked down the mountain back to the camp where the people of Israel were. Do do anybody remember this story? And what did Moses hear? He heard some commotion down from the camp. And he realizes, oh, this is the sound of dancing and singing. And he walked, I don't know what he was thinking at that point, but he walked down to the camp and he saw what the people had done. They'd grown, grown impatient, waiting for Moses. And when they, they were tired of waiting, they went back together and they, they threw in their, their gold and their silver together and they melted it all down and they formed an image of a calf, the golden calf. And then they began to cry, this is the God that delivered us out of slavery. And they began to worship this idol right after they were born. Right after God did these incredible things that would free them from slavery in a way that would show that there is no God like our God. Right? Everything that God did with the 12 plagues was revealing that there's a false God here and he is destroyed. There is only one God. He gave them so many object lessons, led them through the, through the Red Sea, birthed them into a nation, and they turned their back just like that. And they began to worship a golden calf. What did they deserve? Mm, mm, mm. Moses takes the stones. He throws them down in anger. And he he confronts them with their sin. And how horrendous that deed was. And he says, who in this group is actually going to follow the one true God? And this mass of people move over to the other side with their eyes grow wide, realizing what they've done. And they repented, and they turned to him, and only a smattering people who have left who were stubbornly refusing to acknowledge the one true God. But the mass of people moved as they repented. Moses turns, and he walks back up the mountain. meets with God, and God says to him, those people are horrendous, and I'm going to destroy them. No, 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 that's not what he says. Here's what he says. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That's what God says to Moses. And that characteristic would be true for those next 40 years as Moses led the people. Would this be the last time that they rebelled against God? Oh, no. It would be like a continuous cycle. God gave Moses the law the second time. And he brings it down to the people, teaches them the law, and says, okay, everybody got it? Let's go. And they move out. We're thirsty. Why did God bring us out here to thirst? We're hungry. We're starving. Why did God betray us and bring us out here to die? Moses says, no, don't do this. And God says, I'm merciful and gracious, slow to anger, patient, desiring to forgive. And he does that over and over and over and over again. And you know when to whom else he did that? To me. Because how many here can relate to how stubborn we are in our broken ways? Where God teaches us some wonderful things and we see that, oh, you are gracious and merciful, and then we go right back. And end up doing the exact same thing. And it's not just us. It's David. That's why he wrote this psalm. Think of David. Who God preserved him as King Saul was chasing him around the wilderness. But God was faithful to his promise. And God delivers the the oppressing nations from David at his hand and protects him and delivers him. And so, what does David do? David does crazy things like taking some other man's wife and then killing the husband so nobody will know. It's crazy things. And does David get squished and squashed and plucked off the earth? No. Why? Because the Lord is gracious. merciful slow to anger and that's our story that's our story those times that we should have been erased god gives us mercy mercy is withholding what we deserve right it's withholding judgment and condemnation we all deserve that but god withholds it because he's a merciful god but he's also gracious. Grace is God granting us what we don't deserve. These are all these things that we enjoy here. We enjoy comfort. We enjoy prosperity. We enjoy all these blessings that he's been given to us. It's on top, it's abundant. It's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. That's the kind of God that he is. Best exemplified as captured in, in, in Romans chapter 6 that says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The best way God demonstrates mercy and grace is through Jesus and the way that Jesus came to our earth to a sinful people that didn't deserve God's love and he demonstrated abundant love to them by offering his life on the cross. That's the kind of God we have. That's our father. David says, hey, I want to say something about my father in heaven. He's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abundant and steadfast love. Second, he goes on to say, he he's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Verse 11 says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. David says, I also am the focus of his love. The Father loves me. His focus is on me. His love never fails. As far as the heaven is above the earth, so is his steadfast, abundant love. This is plentiful. His love is more than enough. He refers to it as as high as the heavens are above the earth. That's that's quite a ways. (laughs) That's way up there. That's how high his love is for us. Parents, when you, you, you... Hewitt's and Dears, God's given you boys. Let me just tell you what's going to happen. Okay? Not everything. I can't tell you everything that's going to happen. Here's one little thing that's going to happen. They're going to try to, like, stretch the limits. They're going to try to reach higher. In fact, if you walk in any middle schools, one of the things you'll see is on door frames, there's handprints. Right? And in houses that have middle school boys, there's handprints up above the door frames. because there's something in us boys that think, I I think I can reach that now. I think I can stretch that high. And so we jump and we hit it. And the first time we do it, we're like, yes! And we come to another door frame, which they're pretty standard. Every door frame's basically the same height, but we think, I can jump and touch that too. And so first it's just tipping the f- with their fingertips, and then, then it's handprints, and then pretty soon their door frames all over the house have handprints on it. It's going to drive you crazy. But that's what boys do. We reach, try to reach the highest as we can get. That's why, you know, there's bragging rights on who can dunk a basketball, Right? Because, man, if you could dunk a bat that's 10 feet tall. Get your hand above the rim and put the ball down. How many here have ever been able to dunk a a 10-foot basket without a ladder? Anybody? (laughs) Travis, sure. And Jenny? Sure. Uh-huh. I've done a tennis ball as high as I can get. It's a tennis ball. Yeah, you bet. How many, when you jump in the pond or in the lake or in the river, you just have this, this sense. Now, I'll be honest with you. I want to know how many people have this sense. You, you jump in and you want to see how far down you can get. Is there anybody that's like that? Yeah? All right, some of you. Joe, thank you. Is that just me? Some of us really like to do that. We want to see how deep we can go. Well, apparently David's like that. Maybe this comes from him, you know, taking care of his sheep and taking them up to some high ridges and high places. He says, Man, look how high we are. And he looks up to the sky and says, And I'm no closer. That's how high God's love is. I'm here at the top of the world, and heaven's even higher. And that's how high his love goes for me. If he. If the Jordan River is more than six feet deep, maybe he could do the same thing. As he jumps into the water, he can go deep and see how far down he can go until his ears pop, and he thinks, yeah, way down here, even deeper. It's how deep, that's what Paul says, how deep the Father's love for us. It's abundant. And and some of us really struggle with that because we think, yeah, could that be because did you just did you hear how i just talked to my spouse how can he love me when i treat him or her like that and he says yep i love you i love you with that i'm thinking if this is the one that knows what i think and he knows me and he sees me when nobody else does Does he still love me? David says, yeah. As high as the heaven is above the earth. There's nothing. You can, you can jump and try to reach extreme rebellion. And the father says, I, I, I do love you. but There's nothing you can do that can take my love away from you. What can separate us from the love of God? Some versions render that phrase so great is his steadfast love, it renders it as unswerving. It's one of the aspects of this love. It's an unswerving love. In other words, it it will never turn its attention off of you. It's always focused on you. That's the love of our Father. How many are thankful for rumble strips on the roads? Oh, yeah. That allows you to... Look at beauty of nature and check out the fancy car. You hit the rumble stick strips and you pull right back over to your lane and you walk. You and so it pulls you. Man, I'm so thankful because we're not unswerving in our focus. But God is. He doesn't need rumble strips, He doesn't need anything to remind us oh, yeah, I got to pay attention to him or I got to pay attention to her. And I don't know about you, as parents, that gives me such hope. To know that when my child is struggling in a certain area, I can know that, well, his steadfast love is unswerving. He's watching, he's caring. His love will never end for this child. I can trust him. It's a good model for us as we love others. But that's what called, how God calls us to love, as he loves us, All right? This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So God has modeled it, but then he calls us to love one another as he has loved us. Which means, parents, married folks in the room, I encourage you, I urge you, based on God's word, to be Abundant and unswerving in your love for your spouse. The best thing that parents can do for their children is to love each other well. To make them, make your spouse a focus and, a, and an intention, an abundant and unswerving love. As parents, you're going to need this. You're going to need God's example to you. Because there will be times that maybe their disobedience and they're stretching, their individuality against your authority and you're going to re- need to remember God's unswerving and abundant love for you. That you're, you will keep loving your kids that God has put under your care. That you'll stay devoted to those children. That you'll Un- be unswerving in your focus and your devotion to them. Regardless of how they're responding, you will continue to love them. And I think this is how God calls us to love one another, just in a general sense, in the body of Christ. Right? That he's, he's, when, when he gives the definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13, it wasn't to like marriages specifically, it was to the church. It was in the context of Corinthian church. This is how you work together. You all have different gifts, and you all have different abilities, so you all need to use them. But if you use them without loving one another, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't matter at all. So as you work together as a body of Christ, this, remember what love is. Love is kind. Love is gentle. Love is patient. And on and on he goes. 1 Peter 3, verse 8 says, Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender hearted, and keep a humble attitude. That love that God has for us, may it lift our souls, and may we bless the Lord, and may we reflect it faithfully to one another. And then, verse 13. He says, we are the recipients of compassion. David says, I got one more thing. I, I know, I've, I've given two already. I want to give another one. Before other people share, I want to share one more about my father. He says, he's compassionate. He's tenderly affectionate towards me. This isn't a love that just says, you know, this is tough. It's tough love, and I just got to do it. It's going to hurt you more. It's go- I mean, me more than it's going to hurt you right? It's not not just that kind of love. It's a tender affection. He says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Verse 14, he knows our frame. In other words, he knows our situation. He knows our condition. He knows our makeup. He knows how we think. He knows what we act. He knows what we long for. He knows Our hearts, he knows everything about us. He remembers that we're dust, in other words, he knows we're temporary compared to him. You know, we, we don't we don't measure up. And yet he's compassionate towards us, like a father to his children. He knows we come with baggage. He knows we come with wounds. He knows our habits. He knows our distorted thinking and our our broken pursuits. He knows our sin nature. He he knows that we can't add anything to him. It's not like God loves us because if we love him back, he'll be better. God God can't get better. He can't get stronger. He can't be smarter. He can't be be more than what he presently is, whether you worship him or not. It's not going to affect him as a person. He is all in all. He's the self-existent one. We can't make God better, and yet he still loves us and is tenderly affectionate to us. In fact, in one place, it's described as um, this, this word compassion is used to describe a mother's affection for her nursing child. This nursing child has, is in the condition of take, 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 <laughs> right? Draining mom from her strength and her nutrition and all her energies. That's what a nursing child does, just take. It doesn't help with dishes. It doesn't help mow the grass. It doesn't help feed the dog. A nursing child offers nothing to benefit mom. But mom tenderly cares for this child. It's, this, this isn't a transactional relationship. Rarely, and I'll use this word, rarely does a mom have the thought as she's nursing this child, just keep getting stronger because I'm counting on you to take care of me when I'm old. <laughs> Maybe sometimes she will. Rarely does she have the thought, I'll take care of you so that you can eventually help me care for your brothers and sisters that will come along. Maybe once in a while. But the true characteristic of a mom loving her Nursing child is simply that I am just consumed with love for you, regardless of what you do, regardless of that you have nothing to offer to me. I love this child. And David says, that's how God treats me. I have nothing to offer God. The gifts that I have aren't going to make him better. I'm not going to impress him. And he still loves me. And that kind of love and compassion is commanded for us to reflect, be compassionate one to another. And this is where it gets really hard because a lot of times we think, well, we'll show compassion to you if you straighten up. Right, We don't want to show compassion to you and then for you to go right back to living a broken life. I'll, I'll give you compassion. In fact, that's how we measure whether we're going to demonstrate compassion t- to this person is are they going to change? But that's not what God does. God doesn't say, I'll love you if you don't do bad things again. In fact, it was knowing all of our future sin that God sent his son to die. For us. And then he says, now go love one another like that. We have this word compassion. We have a compassion offering that we take. And typically it's on communion Sunday, right? We encourage you to put baskets out. And if you would like to demonstrate compassion to people that are in trouble uh, in crisis, you could place an extra gift in, in those baskets. And we'll use those only for people and I've seen that tendency all along for then, for then leaders of the church to gather those money together. So now we want to care for people in need. And so here's a person in need. And sometimes the question is, well, you know, are they going to straighten up if we help them? And it's like, wait a second. That's not compassion. Compassion says we just give. Not knowing how it's all going to work out, but because God has called us to be compassionate, to reflect his compassion to us. We're generous to one another. And that's how we live our lives. That's what separates a believer in Jesus from other nice people. That's what should separate followers of Jesus from... Have you noticed all human beings like to be nice? Right? I mean, just look in our community. And look how many service organizations we have, right? We got we got a dozen of them. People want to join a club so that we can be nice to people. But here's the difference between compassion from followers of Jesus and compassion from human beings. There's no strings attached. Well, it doesn't mean we don't develop people. It doesn't mean we don't help people to to grow and move out of their their brokenness. That's certainly a a part of showing human dignity and caring for people. But the reality is, God didn't say to us, you made your bed, sleep in it. God says to us, I love you so much that while you're such a mess, that's when I'm going to send my son for you and live love one another like that. This is some of what David mentions. And this is only the start of a list. It's good for us. And that's what we do when we gather together for worship. We, we take the time to sing songs about these different attributes. It's like every day is God's birthday. I mean, I... I'm not saying he was ever born, but you know what I mean. Every day's his day. Maybe I should put it that way. Every day is his day, and we should be taking time to exalt God, to bless the Lord, O oh my soul, to celebrate his attributes, because that fills us, and it also enables us to reflect it. So thanks for joining us on this Father's Day, and thank you, God, for being a father who is the example for all of us. Let's pray. Lord, I give you praise. Our soul is exalted because of how good and faithful you are. Lord, you've demonstrated your love and your kindness and your mercy and your compassion in so many different ways. If we could take time, Lord, to make our list of ways you have done this. And the day isn't long enough to, to, to complete the list. But thank you for being a God who loves us in spite of ourselves. Thank you for salvation. And Lord, if there's anyone here that's never responded to your love, that has come to a conclusion that your love is limited, that your love is only for those who are perfect or or good or make somebody's list of what it means to be good. And Lord, now they're starting to see that that as high as the heavens of the earth, so high is your love for us. Lord, I pray they'd respond to it that they would welcome you in, that they would invite you to show yourself to them. And may they turn to you and surrender to you, Lord. Thank you for this time we've had to worship you. And now be with us as we sing of how good you are in Jesus. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.